from the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack, a broadcast that celebrates the talent and diversity of the LGBTQ plus community and their allies and provides a place to showcase their remarkable voices and stories. And welcome to Not Thinking Straight. In our second hour, the queer guru makes his debut on Not Thinking Straight and interviews legendary hostess and flight attendant Pam Ann. We finish this broadcast with an homage to Craig Russell, a legendary entertainer and impersonator who sang all the songs and impersonations his own way. We begin this episode of Not Thinking Straight with a memorial to Matthew Shepard. It may be distressing to some listeners and begins with the address Matthew Shepard's father gave to the two men charged with his murder on the day of their sentencing. My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. However, in his all-too-brief life, he proved that he was a winner. On October 6, 1998, my son tried to show the world that he could win again. On October 12, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero lost. On October 12, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero died. 50 days before his 22nd birthday. I keep wondering the same thing that I did when I first saw him in the hospital. What would he have become? How could he have changed his piece of the world to make it better? Matt officially died in a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. He actually died on the outskirts of Laramie tied to a fence. You, Mr. McKinney, with your friend Mr. Henderson, left him there by himself. But he was not alone. There were his lifelong friends with him. Friends that he had grown up with. You're probably wondering who these friends were. First, he had the beautiful night sky and the same stars and moon we used to see through a telescope. Then he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him. And through it all, he was breathing in the scent of the pine trees from the snowy range. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind for the last time. He had one more friend with him. He had God. And I feel better knowing he wasn't alone. Matt's beating, hospitalization, and funeral focused worldwide attention on hate. Good is coming out of evil. People have said enough is enough. I miss my son, but I am proud to be able to say that he was my son. Judy has been quoted as being against the death penalty. 
It has been stated that Matt was against the death penalty. Both of these statements are wrong. I, too, believe in the death penalty. I would like nothing better than to see you die, Mr. McKinney. However, this is the time to begin the healing process. To show mercy to someone who refused to show any mercy. Mr. McKinney, I am going to grant you life as hard as it is to do so because of Matthew. Every time you celebrate Christmas, a birthday, the 4th of July, remember that Matt isn't. Every time you wake up in your prison cell, remember you had the opportunity and the ability to stop your actions that night. You robbed me of something very precious and I will never forgive you for that. McKinney, I give you life in the memory of someone who no longer lives. May you have a long life, and may you thank Matthew every day for it. The horrific killing of Matthew Shepard in 1998 is widely seen as one of the worst anti-gay hate crimes in American history. Matthew was beaten by two assailants, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. They pistol-whipped him with a gun, then tied him to a fence in freezing conditions, removed his shoes and set fire to him before leaving him to die. The attack became a cause celebre. It precipitated a national backlash against hyper-macho culture and the tacit tolerance of homophobia. As a result of Matthew's death, many good things have happened for the gay community. The play The Laramie Project has toured the US and many other countries, telling Matthew's story and encouraging campaigns against bigotry. Politicians and celebrities pledged support and funding to combat anti-gay hate crime. The Shepherd family have become campaigners for gay rights. Judy and Dennis Shepherd run the Matthew Shepherd Foundation, which funds educational programs and online community for teens to discuss sexual orientation and gender issues. There have been numerous documentaries, dramas, books and events based on the story. The men responsible for the death were convicted of first-degree murder and given two life sentences. They were not charged with a hate crime, as that wasn't possible under Wyoming's criminal law. But after lengthy wrangling in Congress, President Obama finally signed the Matthew Shepard Act in 2009, a law which defined certain attacks motivated by victim identity as hate crimes. On the evening of the 6th of October 1998, Matthew went to the Fireside Bar, a local hangout that was purportedly gay-friendly. It was karaoke night, and locals rubbed shoulders with workers calling in for a swift drink on their way home. Shortly afterwards, Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney arrived. The three men chatted briefly before leaving the bar and getting in a truck belonging to McKinney's father. In the truck, Matthew was robbed of his keys, wallet and shoes and beaten repeatedly by one or both of the men. He was then taken from the truck, pistol whipped up to 18 times on the head and kicked between the legs. Matthew was tied to a fence, set on fire 
and left unconscious. Fifteen hours after the attack, student Aaron Crevels was out riding his bike when he discovered Matthew tied to the fence, barely alive. He initially mistook him for a scarecrow. Matthew's face was covered in blood, aside from tear tracks on each side of his cheeks. The funeral was attended by more than a thousand mourners, but picketed by the Westboro Baptist Church, led by Fred Phelps, a defrocked minister and founder of GodHatesFags.com, with signs bearing homophobic slogans such as Matt in Hell and God Hates Fags. To counter the protest, Matthew's friends wore white robes and gigantic wings resembling angels, and they blocked the protesters. Despite this action, Shepard's parents were still able to hear the protesters shouting anti-gay remarks and comments directed towards them. The police intervened and created a human barrier between the two groups. On October 26, 2018, just over 20 years after his death, Shepard's ashes were interred at the crypt of Washington National Cathedral. The ceremony was presided over by the first openly gay Episcopal Bishop, Jean Robinson, and the Bishop of Washington, Reverend Marianne Edgar Budd. Music was performed by the Gay Men's Chorus of Washington, D.C., Jen Out and Conspirere. Matthews was the first interment of the ashes of a national figure at the cathedral since Helen Keller's 50 years earlier. The meaning of Matthew, its full title, The Meaning of Matthew, My Son's Murder in Laramie and a World Transformed, is a 2009 biographical book by Judy Shepard about her son Matthew. Judy Shepard speaks out about the loss, her family memories of Matthew and the tragic event that changed the Shepard's lives in America. The Meaning of Matthew follows the Shepherd family in the days immediately after the crime to see her incapacitated son kept alive by life support machines, how the Shepherds learned of the huge public response, the candlelit vigils and memorial services for their child, and their struggles to navigate the legal system whereby the Republicans constantly denied the passing of hate crimes legislation. urging Congress to expand a federal hate crimes law following the beating death of a gay student in Wyoming. Matthew Shepard died at a Colorado hospital yesterday after he was brutally attacked last week. Cynthia Bowers reports. Friends and supporters of Matthew Shepard gathered at sunset last night. I knew deep down immediately that this was going to be a hugely important story for our community and that how the media covered this was going to have a huge impact on people's perceptions of the gay and lesbian community. When the media hit Laramie, uh, again, I, I think it was an opportunity for Laramie to step up, show the pride in that community, to show that we don't condone any kind of activity like that. I remember greeting people as they came in. Um, some we knew and some we didn't. Um, I remember the beautiful service, the beautiful music. Um, and Matt, Matt had been cremated and his, uh, his urn was in a beautiful oak box uh, in front of the altar. And it had a, a ceramic mountain scene on it. And everybody would touch it when they went by. 
McKinney will be the first to stand trial. Russell Henderson pleaded guilty and was sentenced to two consecutive life terms earlier this year. Aaron McKinney sentenced to two life sentences. One of those life sentences is for his conviction for felony murder and second degree murder. More than a year ago, our son Matthew was murdered because he was gay. He was a victim of a brutal crime motivated by hatred. The outcome of this trial will never bring Matthew back to us, but we believe that justice was served today. Maybe tell us a little bit, I'm sure you get this asked all the, all the time, is like, how do you move on from such a thing? Like, you know, it's just not the natural order of, of, of children and parents. Your parents are supposed to go first, right? And it's just not the natural order. It's like, how do you, I'm sure you get this all the time, but how do you motivate yourself to move on from such a tragedy? Well, I was, a couple things happened. We, uh, we were actually living in uh, Saudi Arabia when Matt was attacked. And so it, we had a long trip to get back to him uh, when we got the call that he was in the hospital. And um, well, we didn't even know what had happened. They didn't know what had happened either yet. But it gave us a lot of time to think about what it is we actually were going to be about as a family. And when we got to Matt and saw all the um, media attention that was being given to this incident after more information came out about what actually had happened to Matt, we were getting a lot of calls and messages. And back in, it was, you know, 20 plus years ago, the internet was just a little thing, um, especially in regards to social issues, social media, emails. Emails kept crashing the Hollywood, the Hollywood hospital server. So the messages were like, as accepting parents, can you not share your story so other families understand how important it is to accept your children? And we, we were just overwhelmed with the desire to want to do something for Matt and his friends. And we thought we might have a, you know, a voice for a little while and be able to share our experiences as, as accepting loving parents and how confused we were that there were parents out there who didn't accept their kids when they, you know, took the big step to come out, how hard it was. Um, we made a pact, the three of us, Dennis and I and Matt's brother, that we would just do whatever we could as long as we had a voice. Now, of course, at the time, we didn't think 20 years later, you know, we'd still be here doing this. People move on from one tragedy to the next. But in all honesty, it gave me a reason to get out of bed every day, a reason to, you know, to still be here, I guess. Uh, we knew Matt would be doing this work if he were still here. So that was a motivator. But we just really wanted the world to be a better place for his friends and his peers. And if you could have any influence in that arena, we'd be there. So you did embark, so you, you've developed this foundation that basically you're, teaching people how to empower them is, is how I kind of, I get that to raise their voice. So like, how are you doing that? Well, I think one of the most powerful things in, in anybody's open of hearts and minds is storytelling. Uh, when you make an issue personal, when you relate the personal pain or, or angst or joy in any story, it has a greater impact on someone than just in the abstract. That's really, when you cut right down to all the work we do, it's all related to telling that story and how it affected us and how many other people were affected by what happened to that. 
and how just wrong the whole situation was. And the really wrong part about this is it's still happening. And it's even gotten worse in the last few years in the States, especially. So, um, you know, the storytelling has a huge impact. And that's, that's really what we try to do is help people tell their story. Seems to be very, it's, it's, it's very visual. Like it seems to be it not in the shadows so much of it, like this anti-LGBT or racism or do have you found that just seems over the last few years it's more apparent? Oh, absolutely. Well, let's just start with the United States. In the last few years, we had a very interesting character as president of the U.S. And um, well, you're kind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and his administration was equally negative about anything that wasn't straight white Christian male. So there's that, right? So all he did was empower people, embolden them, uh, give them credibility in, during his administration. And we follow, I think whether we realize it or not, we really follow what leadership, how they behave. Things were so different in the Obama administration because being kind and civil rights and things just about creating a better humanity, that was their whole goal. And in the following administration, that was absolutely not their goal. Their goal was to tear all that down. And the people who were already on that side, the haters, the, the, the racists, the anti-Semites, the everybody that just, you know, everybody that isn't trying to make the world a better place, in, in my opinion, um, it just got more bold. And when you look at Europe, they took a hard right turn the whole world just took this hard right, you know, turn against anything that would empower minorities. So, and it has become more visible, more out there. They used to sort of hide it. In the U.S., the Klan were the, you know, the hoods. So nobody would know who they were. They don't even do that anymore. They, they're on social media bragging. So, so there's that. Um. There is a whole community of people out there who wish that they had a mom like you and a dad like that. That's kind. Thank you. We've, we, we felt so fortunate that the community welcomed us into their lives. And you know, it was really important to feel um, a part of that. So there was a steep learning curve. Don't get me wrong. We were living in Saudi Arabia, for God's sake. So we had, there were a lot we had to learn about what had been going on the years we were out of the country. We needed to be part of Matt's family. Judy, would you like to, do you want to tell us a little bit more about Matt so so people really understand how wonderful he was? Because everything I've read is is very inspiring. Thank you. Matt was, uh, was funny, smart. He smoked too many cigarettes. He was actually in Laramie. He was a, a student in Laramie when he was killed. And he was like every 21-year-old, too much time in the bar with too many cigarettes. And not enough time in the classroom, right? I would not want my 21-year-old self to be memorialized forever. But he, he had a passion for making everybody feel welcome. I think probably the term that would best describe Matt was empathy. He was an extremely empathetic individual from when he was a toddler, just caring about how other people felt, taking on their, you know, if they were uncomfortable or they were being bullied, he would be taking on that, that pain and trying to make it better. He was a peer counselor in grade school and junior high and high school all those years because he was a good listener. He was also an incessant talker. 
He had a passion. He wanted to be in the Foreign Service as a career. The time he wanted to do it, it was really sketchy to be gay and in, you know, federal government. It was on paper. They made it seem okay, but it really wasn't okay, I don't think, in the bigger picture. He just, he just wanted everybody to be allowed to be themselves, to be happy. He loved theater, thought he could sing and dance, but he couldn't. Uh, he took it very seriously and was in a lot of the college productions here in, in uh, junior college when we still lived in Casper. He just, he loved people, very much an extrovert, politically savvy, obsessed with politics really is a better way to put that. MySpace fan back in the 90s, right? So very, very tech savvy, as, you know, as much as you could be back then. He was just, he was really fun. And at the same time, really quite annoying. So every mother's son. You're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. I wrote a book called The Meaning of Matthew, trying to explain to people, please not make him be an icon or some unattainable goal that young people would be searching for, because that's not who he was. He was just like everybody else, with dreams and faults and issues. He suffered with depression occasionally, and, you know, he was just, just like everybody else. The way we lost him is really why he is admired, I guess. Um, and I'm, I have every confidence that had he not, had we not lost Matt, he would be admired. He would be admired for the work he would be doing. To be admired because you were murdered in a most obscene way is not anybody's dream. But he wanted to make a difference. And this is how he's doing it. It did make a huge difference, especially for like me, a 33-year-old who's been living as a gay man, you know? That story, that story reached all the way over here to Canada to find some some child who is so insecure about their life and watched that story and was like, wow. It was the fact that his voice turned into a massive cry for help. And it sort of felt like the straw that broke the camel's back that it became so publicized by mainstream media. For the first time, a story about a gay man being murdered was not the National Enquirer headline. It was the headline of the New York Times. And they told it in a professional, sensitive way, honest and truthful, not sensationalized, not blaming Matt for what happened to him because he's gay. Of course, that's going to happen. It was a different take on the whole situation. It spoke to many people in the straight community in ways that previous incidents did not. Of all the correspondence that we received, easily half of it was from the straight community saying how unaware they were that these kinds of things happened in the gay community. They were never exposed to it. The only thing they knew about the gay community was glitter on gay pride parade and the AIDS pandemic. That's, that's all they knew. And that's the fault of the media, not telling the story correctly. Well, Judy, how do people find you and how can they reach out to you? Well, we have a website, matthewshepherd.org. Easy to find. We do speaking engagements. We do a lot of educational, raising awareness really about hate crimes. We've been working with police departments over the last, well, since the U.S. federal hate crime law was signed in 2009, that now includes LGBT and gender identity and expression and disability and gender. We've been doing a lot of seminars with law enforcement, with the FBI and Department of Justice. That all stopped during the Trump administration. Oh, I said it. I didn't mean to say it. The previous <laughs> guy, his administration, um, they cut down, they shut down all the civil rights issues. So we sort of did them on our own and with other 
like organizations, but we're hoping that we will become, again, part of DOJ's state crime education process. But you can find us on matthewshepard.org. I don't know if you're familiar with the Laramie Project. In the early 2000s, a theater group from New York City went to Laramie and interviewed hundreds of residents and their reaction to what had happened to Matt. And the play was created out of those interviews. And it's been performed all over the world and translated into probably as many languages as you can think of. And the reason is not because it's about Matt, but because it's about the situation. If the story were about a racist incident or a, a religious, for example, if it were a Muslim that had been attacked or a, a person of Jewish faith, rather than someone who was gay, it's exactly the same story. It's about intolerance and ignorance and hate. And it's a profound piece of work. And that really is one of the reasons why the story lives. Um, there was a documentary done about Matt called Matt Shepard is a Friend of Mine. We showed it at the Toronto Film Festival a few years ago. It was done by one of his friends from high school, but it's from the viewpoint of his friends. backyard Young boy just starting out So much history in this landscape So much confusion So much doubt Been there drinking on that front porch Angry kids Mean and dumb Looks like a pain In that blue skyline God hates facts Where we come from Western sky don't make it right Don't mop the grid Don't make no sense I've seen a scarecrow wrapped in a wire Let the die on a high ridge fence It's a cold, cold wind It's a cold, cold wind It's a cold wind blow Why, oh Sense. I've seen this vehicle 
John's song that he wrote, especially in memory of Matthew Shepard, American Triangle. And before that, Judy Shepard, Matthew's mother, was interviewed by Canadian community group Not So Straight Talk. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the community radio network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. And this week we're back with Henry Julius, my wonderful, wonderful book reviewer and friend. It's so nice to see you again, Henry. You've got some, some <laughs> you've got two books today. <laughs> One of them's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Why don't you tell us what, what books we're going to talk about on this episode, and uh, you can choose whichever one you want to start with. Okay, thank you, and hello, Michael, and long time no see each other, and I'm quite excited for this brand new episode to talk about two interesting books that will open up our minds because of the topics that the book brings to us. So um, the first book is about our beloved friend, Amyl Nitrate or Poppers. <laughs> and the second book is about the late R&B singer Alia, which is now being prominent in the media because of the R. Kelly controversies. So maybe let's begin with the first book, Yes, Michael. and I'm going to pretend I know nothing. The only Amyl Nitrate I know was in a Derek Yarman film called Jubilee, and she was fabulous. My God! It's amyl nitrate. She's England entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. She's my number one. 
in that CML nitrate I know. Or, <laughs> or the only CML nitrate that you know is your disc cleaner, right? My disclaimer. No, I don't mind. You know, in my younger days, I, I, I will understand exactly what you're talking about. So <laughs> I shall remain okay. neutral on the subject as I sip my <laughs> wine and you talk. Okay. So the first book is entitled Deep Sniff, A History of Paupers and Queer Futures uh, by Adam Smith, who is a young author based in the UK. So this book takes us on a historical journey to understand what paupers is and how paupers play as many important roles in the gay community. It is often <laughs> taught. <laughs> Sorry. I think I need a popper to get through that. Yes, go on. <laughs> I mean, I mean paupers, also known in Australia as ML nitrate is often thought as underrated chemical. However, we shouldn't think that way because we always appreciate the roles of paupers in our life as a gay community, right? Speak, speak so, for yourself. All I ever got was a headache. <laughs> well, that's not entirely but, true. Yeah, after. But, you know, after, yes. But, you know, many, many but although we, we are familiar with our beloved friend, usually we don't really know the history behind poppers. And this book helps us to unpack the history of poppers. Does it so come poppers, with a sample? <laughs> I hope so, but unfortunately not. All oh, right. Okay. So poppers, so maybe, do you know why poppers is called that way? No, I don't. It's called as poppers. So poppers made a pop when it is open. So that's why it is called poppers. So poppers was first sold in a sealed glass ampoule and then was marketed in tiny brown bottles. Governments began to question the safety of poppers in the mid-1970s. However, despite this situation, the business of selling them became vastly more expansive that time. This was evident with the launch of brand names such as, get ready, you are familiar with those brands. Rush, Rocker Room, and then Jungle Juice. Well, I, I don't know Jungle is... Juice. I don't know that one. I remember something with the red. <laughs> then... What was the one with the red um, flash of light? Rush. Bolt, Bolt, Rush and oh, Bolt, Bolt, yes. Okay. See, we are experts, the experts of poppers here. So, you know, this, the launch of these brand names was also followed by aggressive marketing strategies by these poppers producers in gay newspapers and magazines. And as a result, what unfolded during this period was the new possibilities of enjoying queer bodies and queer desires. I should As just interrupt. Know. I should just interrupt and explain to mm -hmm. listeners who may not know what poppers are. They're a recreate, yes. illegal. Well, they were. I think they still are. Illegal recreational drug that you sniff, and then they have this incredible uh, effect <laughs> on the body, <laughs> like a rush, a real rush. Um, 
and then that goes away. And um, 50 seconds, yeah? Yeah. Or one minute. And often it's used in conjunction with sexual activity. Mm, yeah. And uh, for many people, the end result is a huge headache the next day. And for some people, <laughs> it does have, have an effect on the heart. So there are some downsides, but I'm sure you'll get to that. So I just thought I'd make that clear and people, in case people think, what are they talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then, you know, as poppers uh, became more popular in the gay community, it also have continuously opened up new avenues for pleasures, connections, and also experiments with bodies. For example, on dance floors, people sniff poppers to get the rush and to create a connection between themselves and the music. Recently, if you surf through Pornhub, you would find the new trend called popper bait, which you sniff poppers while watching a particular porn video with instructions about when and how much you should inhale the poppers. So then your body becomes aligned with the video, with the scene, on your screen and also with how much poppers you inhale. So that's why this kind of online slash porn practices called popper bait. Because after you enjoy your body, after you sniff poppers and you watch porn, it will end up with you getting an orgasm. So this is called popper bait. That's why this popper bait culture is also discussed in uh, this book. Well, Jenna, there's nothing physically wrong with you. That's impossible. Why can't I sing? Well, must be psychosomatic. Now, don't worry. That's just a fancy doctor word for your brain is broken. Unfortunately, there's no field of medicine that deals with the brain. Is this a book review or is this a sexual... um, Is this like a mantra, (laughs) like the Kama Sutra? (laughs) Are we giving sexual advice now and not thinking straight? (laughs) So I think I need to stop you from thinking about Kama Sutra. So I will I will close this book. I will close on my book review. Oh, we're getting to the book statement. review. It's nice to get to the book review. And I've got I must say that um, you know I'm sure the station that this is uh, broadcasting on does not approve or have a, have an opinion on this. We're not advising anyone to take them or anything. So there you no, go. I- Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. Danger. That's the disclaimer. Very, yes, that's the disclaimer. And I think it's very important to, to, to read this book as part of a cultural analysis of gender and sexuality practices in our contemporary culture. Because I think this book is not only talking about the roles of poppers in the gay community, but also the author, Adam Smith, is also 
a very astute cultural analyst who also explores popular culture texts like Star Trek and other science fiction novels and connect these novels with the queer futures that might arise in the future. And also he connects queer futures, queer bodies, and also queer cultures through his deep examination of poppers. So poppers is just an entrance to look at how vibrant queer cultures are. It was only at the beginning when you when you mentioned it, it never occurred to me before, I never really thought about it, but it's so true, what? when you said that uh, it was a big part of the gay community and mm-hmm. the first thought that came to my mind was why wasn't it a part of the straight party goers and dancers and things? Does the book address why the gay community really was attracted to this? I think the book doesn't really compare and contrast between the gay community and the non-gay community in using poppers and the effect of poppers on both communities. I think the book is just trying to demonstrate the role of poppers in the gay community because I think, and the writer also explicitly uh, states that he is part of the queer community. And I think the background of the author always exerts influence on the writing, yeah. And I think this book is very also deeply personal. So you can see his own reflections and experience here and there in many parts of the book. So that's why this book, although it tackles historical analysis of poppers, but it is also such a fun book to read because there are always parts of personal experience of the authors that you can connect with while reading the book. And like the video you mentioned, are there parts during the book where it says, now you should take a sniff? Yeah, the, the, um, <laughs> that was a joke. I think that's a good idea. That's a good idea. We need to <laughs> suggest it to the author. <laughs> so, what is the okay. the background? What is the history of poppers? I've got no idea. Was it a medical to bring people back yeah. from heart attacks and things, yeah. wasn't it? Yes, yes. It's part of the medical invention. And then, you know, gay people are very creative, right? We always can twist, modify anything available for our pleasure and political projects. And I think this is quite interesting. Absolutely. And we have the best radio broadcasts, don't we? Yes. And the most fabulous guests, (laughs) such as yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Michael. So, well, that's very interesting. So is it, it's a... I'm just trying to work out how, you, how would you describe the book? It's obviously non-fiction. Is it like a... So the book is obviously a non-fiction book. However, I think I would classify this book as a personal essay that combines cultural analysis with personal experience. So that's what makes this book unique and fun to read. It is fascinating because I had never thought about why the gay community used this so much. And I don't know. I'm not part of the straight community that would be going out to dance clubs and things. I don't know whether they use them too. But it was certainly a huge thing when I grew up. It's still a huge thing for my generation. Still is. So that's why I think, yeah, I think Poppers is the legend that we need to appreciate as uh, it plays a significant role in the gay community. I think Poppers is legendary. It's quite an industry then, I suppose. They must be making a lot of money out of it, do they? Is it available in Indonesia? Can you buy it there? Oh, I cannot say. Well, I don't want to be. (laughs) Well, you can. It's just between you. I don't want to be arrested. No one's listening. (laughs) 
just you, me, and a few thousand other people. <laughs> All right. Actually, what you can do is put your thumb up or thumb down, and then I won't say anything. Thanks for answering that question. <laughs> we'll keep our listeners in suspense. So did you like the book? Yeah, I like the book. Uh, it's an easy read, but also so much knowledge that you can gain by reading this book and you can understand your own culture, right? As a, a gay man, you know, growing up with less knowledge about why particular culture is gay and why particular culture is not gay, you know, by reading this book, then you know why. And then also you can see the connection between you and other gay men through poppers. <laughs> so basically it's his personal relationship with the drug or his personal story of how it's part of his life. He doesn't go into analysing why or deeper issues? Uh, I think it's more or less like uh, he he's doing a cultural analysis of poppers and a historical analysis of it. But at the same time, you know, he also connects that history and the findings with her, with his own uh, personal experience. So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a personal essay, but also a cultural analysis. So it's, it's both. So as an analysis, one would normally come to a conclusion. Does he come to some conclusions or... I don't, I don't think it's about the history of his life. So it's more than that. It's, it's also the, the life of paupers, <laughs> not only his life, but also about the conclusion. I don't want to give a spoiler here. So I think it's better for you to explore the paupers while also reading this book. <laughs> to okay. explore the history of the paupers, I think. Right. <laughs> not the paupers. And, you know, enjoy this book and you will find how... Uh, he arrives at the conclusion. Okay. And you're listening to Not Thinking Straight. I'm Michael Mack, and I'm talking with Henry Julius, our book reviewer. So, okay, so the next book uh, is entitled Baby Girl, better known as Alia, written by American writer and journalist Kathy Ian Dolly. So this book, as you can guess from the title, is about Alia, the late R&B singer that was very popular and even now is still popular uh, among uh, gay community. What's her style of music so, for those who don't know? The style of his, her music, yeah. So she was known for her R&B slash hip hop music. And she was very famous together with Destiny's Child, TLC, uh, Mary J. Blige, and also other R&B icons in the 2000s. So together with the iconic Timbaland, I believe you know Timbaland, right? She produced popular hits like We Need a Resolution, one of the hits from Aliyah. And then she also became the incarnation of Anna Rice vampire queen Akasha in the movie adaptation Queen of the Den. So she was in the movie. However, by 20 years old, although Alia had already achieved international stardom, she died in a plane crash. And then she left us with enduring legacy and also many questions around her short life and career path. So this book takes us on the history of 
her life and also her career and also her connections with broader R&B and hip-hop music developments in the U.S. Was it a challenging life or a difficult life or a happy life? I think it's a mixture of all of those elements. So born in New York and then relocated to Detroit, Michigan, where Motown records, which popularized Black American music, were located. Since four years old, Alia had the growing talent in herself, evident in her role in the musical like Annie and also her performance in New Detroit, a racial justice organization where she mostly performed Whitney Houston song. So while recounting Alia's road to stardom, this book also raises difficult issues surrounding her first album, her life, and her relationship with R. Kelly. So back then, when they met, R. Kelly had already been a famous R&B star. So at 14 years old, Alia recorded her album with R. Kelly. And then this kind of collaboration was then followed by R. Kelly's influence over Alia's career that surely made her life become complicated. What makes it more complicated is that in 1994, Alia and R. Kelly were married with the marriage certificate showing her age as 18, three years older than her actual age. And you know now R. Kelly has become a spotlight in the media because of her, the, his sexual violence and sexual abuse, right? And I think now uh, the press is also talking again about Alia. And I just also found out that uh, three weeks ago or last month, Alia producer, who is her own uncle, finally released all her album digitally, all her albums digitally. So now you can find her albums on YouTube. And you can enjoy, you can still enjoy her her music. So, you know, it's quite, although, you know, it raises difficult issues, this book also, you know, try to portray Alia's attempts to, to detach herself from R. Kelly and redefine herself in her next albums. And in that process, you will see how Alia developed a good collaboration with Timbaland, Missy Elliott, and other R&B and hip-hop artists. So that's what I like from this book. I finally, you know, when I was young, I really adore Alia because I, I really like R&B music back then, and Alia was one of my favorites. But, you know, after her sudden death, then I didn't know a lot about her life. But now this book is released, and I feel... Now I can get more information about her life and also about her career. And, you know, when I was reading this book, I also listened to her albums again and again. And, and I feel that she has left us an enduring legacy uh, of R&B music that maybe now young generation can also still listen to and, you know, feel the presence of Alia.
Thank you, Michael. You are so serious. <laughs> no, I'm thinking. I'm just thinking. Um, so a lot of these books about actors and singers and that can be a bit pulpy, um, like pulp fiction. Is it? Is it an intelligent read, or is it sort of a fan book? How would you just? How would you describe it? I think, of course, the writer, the author, admits that she is a huge fan of Alia. However, she is also a journalist, right? So she knows how to write well, not like a gossip column. And I think the book, what what is very interesting from the book is she includes the detailed report of the plan, the plane crash that Alia um, experienced. So I think he she did a lot of good journalistic work to compile all, all of this information and then uh, write what she found in a very detailed accounts to recount Alia's unfortunate uh, planned crash. And did she talk about R. Kelly, what happened after she died? Um, not really. Not really. Because I think as far as I could recall, after Alia released her second and third albums, I think Alia was finally detached from R. Kelly's influence. And he's in jail now, isn't he? Yes, yes. He's arrested finally. He is in prison finally. For some time. I, I think too. Yeah, he's convicted, right? Two weeks ago, I think, or three weeks ago. So we don't do scoring on this show, but let's score. On Poppers, out of one to five, how many stars would you give that? I think I will give uh, it four, four, four stars. Not because I like Poppers, yeah, but because of the right thing. <laughs> Not because I like sniffing, sniffing Poppers. <laughs> Not because of it. <laughs> this is the weirdest book review I've ever done. <laughs> and the second book... How many stars would well, you give that? Uh, I think 3.5. 3.5. Cool. Yeah. Right, so. Not because the author doesn't include any reference to Bob Percy, yeah? <laughs> so you took two. Why would you take off three and a half, four, one and a half stars off? Cool. <laughs> no, it's just because, you know, uh, it's a good book. However, the last chapter, I think, was a bit too much because she includes a lot of fans' letters, uh, alias uh, fans' letters, and I think it's just too much. Uh, yeah. So uh-huh. let's just recap for our listeners. <laughs> there was Deep Sniff. Is Deep Sniff, A History of Poppers and Queer Futures by Adam Smith. and uh, not, second- not, not Adam Sniff. Adam no, Smith. Adam Smith. <laughs> that was another. Z. That was another one of my bad jokes, Henry. You don't get it. <laughs> Henry Z. doesn't get any of my jokes, listeners. He doesn't. Yeah. Get funny. <laughs> so, <laughs> Smith, not Sniff. Sorry, I've Smith. interrupted again. Yeah. And then the second book is Baby Girl, better known as Alia, by Kathy Iandoli. Great. Well, so nice to see you again, Henry. After our Bit of a break. You've been through a lot and um, it's lovely to see your smile back on your face. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. And we'll have you Thank back you so much. whenever you want. Sure. 
Thank you. So let's catch up again next month. I hope I will find more interesting books to review. Fantastic. We've been speaking to Henry Ulius, courtesy of the Bookshop Darlinghurst, and uh, I'll give you the details about how to check out those books online. Thanks, Henry. Thank you, Michael. Bye. And since we've been talking about Aliyah, I'm going to play you one of her songs in just a moment. If you want to find out anything more about the books that we were talking about, head to thebookshop.com.au and I thank the bookshop for supplying the books for Henry to review. And I look forward to talking to Henry again next month. Here's Aliyah with her song, More Than a Woman.
the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. And very shortly, our latest contributor, the Queer Guru, will interview Pan Am. This segment, however, does require a safety announcement. Please pay attention. There is a severe language warning. You're about to hear the word F multiple times. So if you don't want to hear the word F multiple times, I'm sure Pam will make you a cup of tea and you can sit in the passenger lounge. Hello. And welcome aboard Pam Am Airlines. You're about to see a safety information video. This is fucking important! So please give it your full attention, even if you are a seasoned traveller. Please ensure all the aisles and the exits are clear. Move your... Turn around, stick it out, show the world you got a... Big fucking ass. I have STDs. Shit to do. Your seatbelt should be firmly fastened. Really? Really? I have to remind you how to put a fucking seatbelt on? It's the same shit as getting into a car. Although in a car, you're more likely to survive. Whereas if you're plummeting at 700 miles an hour directly into the Everglades, you're more likely to fucking die. This is gonna do fuck all for you. In the event of reduced visibility, a row of lights will light up along the aisle like so. And run like a bitch! Run, kick those heels up and run like a girl on fire! This girl is on fire! This girl is on fire! Run! If required, a life jacket is located in a container underneath your seat. Good luck with trying to put that on when you have no arms. Please ensure all your laptops, mobiles, anything with a fucking on-off switch are switched off fucking now, or else I will get my cabin crew who are pre-menstrual and are prone to have meltdowns and have had enough and are gonna come around the cabin and grab it out of your hand and smash it. If required, an oxygen mask will fall from the unit above your head. Place over your nose and mouth and breathe normally. Well, that's going to be hard in a really highly stressful situation. When the wings come off and the engine's caught fire, you really think you're going to pull that fucking shit together? Good luck. Finally, your safety card is located in your seat pocket. Please take a moment to study this card. Have a look at the pretty pictures because that's not how it's gonna fucking pan out. Do you understand? If we go up in a big fireball, you are gonna be nothing. There will be no safety cards. There'll be no plane. There'll be no people. You're gonna be dust, ash. There is not a happy ending to any of this. Thank you for your attention. We certainly hope you enjoy your flight with Pan Am Airlines, the world's most experienced airline. 
the fact is, we haven't made the same mistake more than three times, maybe four. Enjoy. Are we done? Are they here? excited to introduce the queer guru who will occasionally be very kindly sharing some of his wonderful work with us here on Not Thinking Straight. And what better way to begin than the queer guru interviewing the internationally famous air hostess Pan Am. So 20 years of flying the globe as the world's most infamous and potty-mouthed flight attendant and you sent last seven of them here uh, in P-Town. Seven years, ten, seven, year, ten years. Ten years well, in I don't Peter. know, you probably know better than me. Um, but so I have been here a while. What makes you come back? Um, it's like a little, It's you know, if Xanadu was a place, mm. Provincetown would be Xanadu. You know, it's a place nobody dares to go, but goes. Because <laughs> you've got to get, it's a schlep to get here, let's mm. face it. Yeah. You know, you've got to get on that Cape Air flight from Boston, which is fabulous, but at Bear Week, you have to watch the weight restrictions on that plane, because that plane doesn't even take off the ground. It's four foot off the ground with those bears on it. But, but you love coming for Bear Week. I, Bear Week's my favourite, because yeah. I feel thin. <laughs> I feel thin and they feed me pizzas and they know how to jump the queue at Spiritus Pizza. I, you know, I have to confess something. The first time I saw you in Town Hall, um, it was an education for me. Yes. Because you know more about bears than I ever, ever did. Yeah. Where did you pick all that, that up from? Bears, uh, I grew up mm. with bears. Mm, I grew up in a colony of bears. No. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> no. I believe that. <laughs> well, pretty much, you could say. Yeah. I mean, I guess the bears, I, I uh, gravitate towards the web because they feed me. I, I threw hot dogs out there. I know, I, I remember that. I remember the of hot dogs. But, but you knew all the terminology, which I never knew. Polar bears. Yeah. And I make them up as well. Oh. Yeah. Baby yeah. seals. No, no. No, you didn't mean that when I was going. Is there so, a baby seal? I think there is a seal. I don't know. <laughs> there they're, is a seal. They're gonna, there is a seal and an otter, but you knew them all. Yeah. So you're doing buckle up bitches buckle this up. year. Yes. What, the, what can the bears and the non-bears expect? Well, you know, my shows and my comedy mm. is all improvised mainly. So uh, it depends on what I'm thinking of that day. I, I work on the fly. Nothing's really scripted. Mm. So I wish I could script a show, it would be a lot easier for me. Um, but every night is a different night, so I honestly don't know mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So I guess with Bear Week it'll be talking a lot about bears and I might have to make some hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm vegan now, so it'll have to be vegans, vegan hot dogs. So go back to the beginning, Caroline. When and where did Pan Am start come and why did she start? Where did you find her? Um, well, to be honest, I had a, my, my 26th birthday, I dressed as a Pan-American 60s mm. air hostess and drank so much vodka and ended up, all night people kept coming up to me saying, Pan Am, Pan Am. And then if you say it a lot, yeah. Pan Am, Pan Am, Pan Am, Pan Am, 
Pan-Man, Pan-Man, Pan-Man. So I woke up in a haze with a hangover, and I went, Pan-Man, it's Pan-Man. So basically, it was, it was really born out of the marketing of the Pan-American. I was more interested in the whole look of it and the fashion more so than the comedy so the comedy came a lot later so and so now you're you must be recognized on flights yes and how do they treat you the flight hostesses well i mean i'm very very lucky because it's made my travel world so personable and i meet so many people so even friends even flight attendants that i've met are friends to this day mm -hmm. and i must say on a Qantas flight last year i was flying first <laughs> sorry Ooh. about that can i hear class <laughs> um you don't you do like your show you are so yes. miserable to the people in the economy I know. they should make an effort and spend more money <laughs> um and anyway the crew i the crew were amazing and i walked off that flight mm -hmm. because they kept coming up with me with up to me with bottles of champagne so they, they were, these were 500 700 bottles so i left with four bottles like two rare red wines and two champagnes four sleeper suits which martin grant uh and so every time i get on a plane I must say, with EasyJet, which you know, yeah. in England, which is a, like Southwest, but worse. Much worse. Much worse. You're bored by a rope and <laughs> yeah. people punch you and you're bored. That must be a wonderful place to find <laughs> your comedy, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't fly it. I might walk on and off the plane just to see it and then go, no, but I did fly it once. You did? Yeah. Never again. No, I flied a few times, but um, the crew... I remember it came up to me like, we're really, we're, we're really sorry, yeah. Uh, we don't have champagne. Well, they had the little ones, but they couldn't give it to They gave me a bottle of water. So they tried. They let you have a free water <laughs> and a gull of a bear. <laughs> you get the bear on the duty free. So um, I usually walk off with things or the British Airways crew the older ones, the worldwide fleet, you know, Camilla, all the horses, Camilla, Margaret and Anne, you know, hoof, hoof and hoof. Um, I remember I went to the restroom and I came back and she preempted what I wanted. I love crew that read your mind. Mm -hmm. I love service that they mm -hmm. already know what you want. And I came back and there was two gin and tonics, Gordon's. But, but how wonderful it is that you've gone from doing parodies of st stiff airlines like British Airways and now they employ you to make videos. Yeah, I know I just got employed by Air Italy. Oh, really? Air Italy is a new airline um, and they've just employed me to be the ambassador. Mm -hmm. So now I have to learn Italian. Versace, Versace, Versace. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you can't make fun of airy to Italia? Oh, of course, they have a good sense of humour. Yeah, more than um, the British. The British do have a great sense of humour. I mean, mm. the British, are, the best comedy comes from there. Yeah, and they're easy marks as well. Easy, and they're good sports, <clears throat> you know. But Air Italy, I'm doing their safety video. You are? Yeah, so we're in the works doing So that. all of these videos we can see on your site too. Uh, the Air Italy will be probably shooting September, so October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll have it out. It'll be viral. There'll be a naughty one. They want to do a naughty wow. one. Naughty Italian. A naughty, naughty Italian. I think they have a... I don't know. I think... I mean, Pamela's really sexy in Italy. Is she? Yes. She's a little Dolce Vita, oh, I really? think. Yeah, they like that. Boom, boom, boom. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but they're, they're, they're the Italians... 
it's all sex. So I don't know what I'm, I don't even know whether I'm wearing a uniform in it. So when Pam Lam's here, she's struggling with the rest of the drag queens trying to get a bit of in the dick dock. So it goes from one extreme to the other. Oh, I'm down at that deep dock. None the wiser at night. Huh? None the wiser. So, um... Those boys come home with, uh, coral, cock-sucking coral lip gloss on around their dicks and they wonder who, who sucked them off. It was me. It was me. But I would like, but looking at your, your work, you played this really nice venues like here, and enormous ones like Hamsum Apollo, congratulations, sold out, yeah. two nights running, three and a half thousand seats. Yes. So where do you like playing best of all? Small, big? I like small yeah. because of how I perform and work. It's very audience interactive. Mm -hmm. And I find that it's much more fun for me doing intimate. Mm -hmm. The, the Hammersmith is such a different performance. And I toured with Cher. Oh, um, you did? And I opened for her back in 2004 on her farewell, 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 farewell tour. She did, well, she'll be back to open <coughs> for you soon. Then, yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, and I, I opened for her at Wembley Arena. Oh, wow. And the performance is so much different. Yeah. The way you hold the microphone, it's very big. You have to be very big in, in the performance, yeah. as is as Hammersmith Apollo as well. Mm. So it's very different, but I try to make it intimate. Mm -hmm. But nothing beats, like the Paramount here, mm -hmm. where I'm performing. Crazy, crazy. Oh. Hi. Hi. Welcome aboard. First oh. class. <laughs> busy, busy on the plane. We just uh, opened the door. Um, so, so yeah, the small intimate things like the Paramount is where you can react. But yeah. I can, your shows are like you're not exactly small when you do those shows. The what? You're very much in our faces when you do those shows yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Pam Ann is just very in your face, mm -hmm. and I'm in my element, and I'm most comfortable when I'm in the audience and yeah. just riffing off people. And when all the stars align. Mm -hmm and you get some real gems, like you might have uh, Air France, mm -hmm. American Airlines, and then you might have a Southwest or a JetBlue, mm -hmm. and you just, ca and I love causing fights with them all, <laughs> like it's just this like whole, mm -hmm. like, like making Air France the best, mm -hmm. and then comparing it to American, and then like making Southwest, you know, feel like the peasants that they are on that bus, rackety, rackety, rack. So you're here for a whole month this year. I am. Uh, but I, I hear the rumors they've asked you to leave before Family Week. Is that true? Family Week? When is Family Week? The end of July. And uh, that's, that's when you go, isn't no, it? No, they didn't ask me. <laughs> See, why would that no, be? No, I'm staying. You are? I am, I'm staying. I don't know. It, it just depends. Have you ever done a family show? Listen, honestly, I had a family from, uh, is it North Reading here? Not Reading, England. Is there a Reading? Yeah, I yeah. think there is. Yeah, they drove down. There was, they had three kids with them, two couples. They were in the house the other night. Mm -hmm. And um, it was fine. It was fine for me. But I find that that family is going to be haunted for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Those kids are not going to ever forget me. And what, I gave the kids champagne as well. Like, I just corrupted the whole family. I pulled out things that they made their dad gay. Like, I mean, th that family left all in silence, I think, in the car driving back.
And they never take another flight either, probably. No, I think they're driving. They're driving. I don't think they got it either. Expecting to see you as well. Oh my God, it's her on the plane. But they're really nice. Yeah. It was nice, but it's not my choice. Yeah. I feel my comfort zone. If I see just rows of gays and bears and lesbians, then I'm. Oh, I can breathe, you know. But you also, I've seen the videos of when you perform in front of flight hostesses, where you love that too yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. So after July, where do you go next then? I am DJing. Ah, my new little side gig. Yeah. I'm DJing disco at uh, Stockholm Closing Party, Stockholm Pride. Disco, does that age us? Uh, disco House. Like, D I'm, I'm closing okay. Stockholm Pride. Mm. Yeah, with Horsemeat Disco. Oh, Horsemeat Disco. Horsemeat now disco. she adds to it. Horsemeat Disco, yeah. but I'm playing Amped Up Disco. Okay. And I'm practicing uh, in Provincetown. So if you hear. Uh, music coming from a little apartment. That's me <laughs> practicing. And then I'm off to Mykonos. Oh, fabulous. Just to splash around. Well, where will you be there? By the windmills and church. Yes. She knows her business. Yeah, down by the church, boys. Are you, are you performing there? No. Oh, no, no, no. Just, just for vacation. Just vacation. I have performed there once. And I jumped in the Jackie O pool, fully clothed, as a man. And it was amazing. But mm -hmm. I, I prefer to vacate my vacation place. Yeah. I prefer not to work. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm not going to do that again. But it was great. But yeah. Mykonos is my... It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm actually thinking I'm going to have to stop being a vegan so I can have a survive. Oh, really? It's <laughs> like so my friend said, how are you going to cope? Having a hangover and not being able to eat uh, a chicken uh, gyro. Uh, is that actually yeah. a gyro? That's I mean, one. I'm going to have to pretend I don't know. <laughs> so, and you're back next year here? Yes, of course. of course. I've been coming here for, what, 10 I years? Thought, I, yeah, I looked, but maybe you hadn't dated your website. I counted seven. <laughs> but but yeah, it must be 10. And Maybe seven. And then I go on tour with Voss Events oh, in yeah. uh, September, all through North America, Los Angeles. Uh, Miami. I'm coming to Miami. Oh, when? Where we're there? September. Okay. We'd be. Oh no, I'm still here. Ah. Oh. I'm still here. September and then Portland. I've never been there. No, Portland, Oregon, or yeah. Portland, Maine. I don't know. Oregon, <laughs> Oregon. You're not driving. Oregon. The, you're not driving the bus, so you're no, not flying the plane. I'm, I'm up the back drinking. And where else? My uh, Washington D.C. Right. Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, Calgary. Okay, so in your experience before we go, is there one airline we should definitely avoid? The, the thing I don't like in the terminology yeah. with these airlines, like I can't stand American Airlines and that. American Airlines Group One? Yeah. No, <laughs> first class, bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're not groups. Yeah. I'm first class and kids and children and wheelchairs should be on last. I'm sorry, make an effort. They can walk anyway in those wheelchairs. You've been to Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. You, all you hear is wheelchairs and then they all walk at the other end. It's a miracle! <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I so, know, and anyway, I... Fort Lauderdale's not an airport anyway. It's a Chili's with a runway through it. <laughs> So anything that flies out of a Chili's, I would avoid. There you are. Go back to Miami. Go back to Miami DeVille Airport. A I, real airport. Yeah. Miami International. Okay. Have you been to the TWA terminal at JFK? Um, don't know about the old oh, one. The new one. They've redone it. It's oh, really? really beautiful. 
I highly recommend it. It's like what going back into the 60s. Yeah. Her man lives there when she's not here. She does? Yeah. Really? <laughs> her own suite there? She does. She has her own suite. I think, if you were, I think if you were in the Virgin Lounge in Hefo, which is one of my yeah. favourite lounges. Yes, it's it, fantastic. It feels like the old times. Yeah, the good it's like times. The, club, the clubhouse. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. Well, it's been great talking to you. Yes. It's been such a joy. Yeah, And I enjoy the rest of the summer here. Yeah, I'm off to the dick dock later, so I'm looking forward to that. And I must say... I just met somebody, yeah, a Bulgarian rickshaw driver. <laughs> I don't have to pay for that. Oh, so are you learning Italian and Bulgarian? Yes. Good luck to that. Ciao, bellissima, vende, vende, arrivederci, donna della Versace, tagliatelli, ravioli, mamma mia. Okay, now for the Bulgarian. Uh, uh, your, your kill squirrel and the moose. <laughs> Will you kill a squirrel and the moose? <laughs> they're all smart though, they're all university students. I know they are, yeah. I know that. And I have to tell you, our little set up here, we are, we reach 46 different countries. Oh, you, hello, 46 different countries. <laughs> yeah, and we're not quite sure how, why, but we do. Hello, Sophia. <laughs> and hello, Sophia. <laughs> okay. Mwah, mwah. No. It's okay if I stay back here. Well, what do I get out of it, Sailor? I've got a secret weapon. Do you? Big boy, are you? You say that. Is it big enough to split me in two? Yes, it is. Great. Not that Maggie's back in. Absolutely thrilled that the queer guru has very kindly shared some of his work with us here on Not Thinking Straight. And you can follow the queer guru on all the usual download sites queerguru.com for the website, and on YouTube at Queer Guru TV, and his Instagram is at the Queer Guru, and his Facebook is Queer Guru. I'm so busy. Oh. Busy, busy, busy and touch trolley and run to the galley touch galley run back to the trolley touch trolley look around look important and run back to the galley touch the galley run back to the trolley get a hop in there i'm so busy and touch the trolley make some signs to the galley which mean nothing at all and touch the trolley, run to the galley. I'm so busy today. Touch the galley, run back to the trolley. He's a bit stressed out. And touch the trolley, see how many times you can do that without serving anybody at all. <laughs> Make eye contact with passenger and push trolley swiftly away. Passenger going to the toilet. Block passenger <laughs> and fuck off for two hours. <laughs> Casually stroll back to the trolley. I'm so busy today. And fluff around a little bit on the trolley. Touch a few things on the trolley. So incredibly busy. We have an economy meal. Chuck that. <laughs> and make some sounds on the trolley. Make some sounds with the ice. 
I am shattered. <laughs> oh, what's that? What's it time for? Oh. Hot steaming coffee! <laughs> I'd hate to burn you, I really would. <laughs> Gotta do it. <laughs> Are you fuck coffee? Are you fuck coffee? You fuck coffee? You fuck coffee? You fuck coffee? You sucky fucky coffee? You suck fucky suck coffee? Woo! Oh! <laughs> Terribly sorry, sir. Look, I've gone and burnt your face. Smile like you give a shit and care. And push trolley away. Sorry, we have to abandon that food service, ladies and gentlemen, due to the heavy turbulence on board. Now you 
introduce Leica version video games. From the studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. We close tonight with an homage to Craig Russell. In 1977, Russell made his film debut in the film Outrageous, based on Margaret Gibson's book, Making It, a chronicle of Gibson's life as Russell's roommate. It was a huge hit and Russell will travel the world in its wake. I was fortunate enough to see the show in Sydney at the Theatre Royal all those years ago and it was fantastic. Russell Craig Edie was born on January the 10th 1948 and died on October the 30th 1990. Known by his stage name of Craig Russell, he was a Canadian live celebrity impersonator. His impersonations included Carol Channing, Bette Davis, May West, Barbara Streisand, Tallulah Bankhead, Marlene Dietrich, Bette Midler, Anita Bryant, who you're about to hear, Peggy Lee and Judy Garland. Whilst performing, he always spoke and sang in the voices of the celebrities he was impersonating. As a teenager, Russell became president of May West's fan club and briefly worked and lived in Los Angeles as West's secretary. He eventually returned to Toronto where he moved in with Margaret Gibson and worked as a hairdresser while pursuing his career as a stage performer. By 1971, he was a regular performer in Toronto gay clubs and had a burgeoning international following. Russell fathered one child, a daughter, Susan Allison, who was born January the 6th, 1973, in Toronto. Father and daughter developed a relationship in the years prior to his death. In 1977, Russell starred in the film Outrageous. Although he publicly identified as gay rather than bisexual, Russell married his close friend Laurie Jenkins in 1982. In 1987, Russell starred in the sequel to Outrageous, appropriately titled Too Outrageous. Russell remained married to Laurie until his death in 1990 of a stroke related to complications from AIDS. Craig was cremated and laid to rest in Port Berry, Ontario. We begin this episode with a 1977 interview with Ted Wallachin. God bless you! I don't hate you queers. You must read Leviticus, for it is written, Brethren and Sistren, There is hope for all who have gone astray. Hey, hey, cabaret. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Everybody! Getting any support here. 
I'm going back to Florida. Good evening, welcome. We're sitting in the studio now with Craig Russell, which is the beginning of probably what will be my weirdest interview of all time. Congratulations. How are you? <laughs> Better than Congratulations nothing. to you on your movie. Oh, yes. They should have called it Courageous, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, off the top, uh, for those people who didn't see the movie, there are a lot of rumors circulating that most of the rumor is... Uh, oh, you most mean of the movie Margaret Trudeau missed it? Oh, God. Well, she was so busy taking pictures. That's not all she missed, really. No. Stop and think about it. How close to the, uh, is your life to the movie? Uh, is it based on your life? I heard that it was, or at least well, in it part. Was, yes, it was, in, in a sense, because I lived with a girl named Margaret Gibson, who wrote a short story, you know, about our two years together. And um, then Richard Benner wrote uh, a very happy story out of a sad story because her, her book it's from her book the butterfly ward which is right, you know. right. so it, i would say it's uh 50% autobiographical i mean robin turner is a, a composite of about four five maybe people and i'm three of them <laughs> <laughs> What do you consider? Do you consider yourself uh, an impressionist, a comedian, an actor? I consider myself a star, um, basically. Um, I'm all those things you mentioned. I'm, I'm a singer. Also, I've uh, got an album out on Polydor. Um, GRT, I think it is, up here. Canada. Yeah, I believe GRT distributes for Poland. And uh, I'm doing a new album for Casablanca, in which Donna Sumner and I are going to be able to go. <sighs> Together to disco. It'll sound like. Um, are you writing the lyrics to that? or? Is it <laughs> yes, I just <laughs> totally did. Totally ad libbed. Mm, That's yeah. it right there, is it? Oh, I always write my own dialogue, honey. How close to the uh, to, to the movie was the beginning of your career? The, uh, very close, very close. Except for the fact that I was doing very well as a hairdresser, and uh, Robin Turner in the movie was a very unsuccessful hairdresser. I was doing very well. I was working the Catskills, you know, with the, the German Jewish ladies, and I worked up in Bayview and Steels, and they'd say, make it higher, make it mid curls, because my husband is very tall. I said, your face is still down around its waist, honey. <laughs> I, if the top of your head reaches his shoulder, what does it matter? So I got tired of being a psychiatrist. and uh, Where are you from originally? Uh, Toronto. From Toronto. I was born in Toronto General Hospital. God bless him. Are you a flag-waving Canadian? How do you feel about that situation? That's not the greatest... A what-waving? A flag-waving Canadian. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not a flag-waving Canadian. I am proud of my country, though. I think it is the best country in the world. And that's why I wouldn't give up my citizenship. 
I fought like hell to get my green card so I could work in the U.S. of A., the excited states of America, where everyone's opinion is worthwhile. Even Anita Ekberg. <laughs> How many women do you do in, in, in your club act? Oh, yeah. <laughs> these pauses are going to get us in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I was going to ask you the same question. <laughs> um, well, I do um, 20 ladies per show. How many of these people have you met? Well, uh, Carol Channing. Uh, it started, I worked for Mae West. That was nine months. Mm, the usual gestation period. And I learned what I had to learn there. Then um, I met Carol Channing when she came in to see the show. And she said, oh, my gosh. She said, I never felt so loved in my life. Just to think that you wanted to look like me and sound like me. Oh, but she said, you're too feminine. She said, I'm more like a Viking. <laughs> so she taught me how to be more masculine. They say that uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. They're right. Except in some cases. Why don't you do uh, Anita Bryant? I do Anita Bryant. Yes, I'm going to be doing Anita Bryant live at the Imperial Room of the Royal York Hotel. But yes, I do Anita Bryant. I have a copy of the Bible and I read from Leviticus, my very favorite. Do not eat any blood, uh, do not eat any meat with blood still in it. <laughs> Boy, that's going to upset a lot of the gay kids, isn't it? You've never met her, have you? Yes, we had the same agent for three years. I can tell you a lot about You're Anita kidding Bryant. Me. No, I'm not. Is that right? His name was Dick Shack, and his wife, <laughs> uh, Ruth, Ruth Shack, excuse me, hockey person, um, his wife, Ruth Shack, um, fought for civil rights. And he said the funny thing that Anita calls her campaign Save Our Children, but I have three children. And I've known her for 16 years, and she doesn't know one of their names. So the whole thing is a, is a, is a big act. It's backed by Regan's money. It's just, a, you know, it's a lot of BS. Oh, and I do mean Barbara Streisand. Those eyes, when you do, you, it's unfortunate that people can't see this, because when you cross your eyes when you do Streisand, it's amazing. Well, how can they see How does she feel radio? about that? How does she feel about that? Barbara Streisand? Because to me, it, She it's, says, you wear too much lip gloss. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Who's your favorite lady? Oh, uh, my favorite lady. My mother, Norma. <laughs> or oh, my favorite lady to impersonate, I think it's uh, Tallulah Bankhead. I wish she were still alive. Sometimes I'm afraid she is. Because <laughs> Tallulah used to say, too many of our brothers wear ignorance as a badge of honor. Anything they don't understand, they hate. She was all for freedom and liberty. That's what I'm for. Have you ever considered doing impressions of man, of men? Yes, I do impressions of men. I do W.C. Fields. I got freaked on I do Louis Armstrong. But I do love Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. I do um, quite a few men. You have an incredibly powerful voice, you know. Thanks. I like your shoes, too. You like those? You could have them if you wanted. Uh... We'll take them off. <laughs> <laughs>
You're silly, you know that? I know, I know, but so are you. And... That's what makes it all worthwhile, you know, because everybody is so serious about everything. Well, I'm serious about absolutely nothing. Good, we'll get along fine. Now, I'm glad that this isn't on television. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, probably because of what you're wearing. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't Dish, that was Wedgwood. <laughs> no, I wanted to say that it, it's good to be back in Toronto, my hometown, and to uh, and the Imperial Room. Um, it must be exciting for you to work a room. And I, I, when I first heard of it, to be quite honest with you, when I heard that you were going into the Imperial Room, I thought, oh, really? Because the Imperial <laughs> Room you is... You thought, really, as a customer? Is, uh, no, no, because the Imperial Room is probably one of the... Uh, straightest rooms, if I can use that term. Yes, well, originally, um, from what I understand, you see, it was George Anthony and uh, Gino Empry that fought to get me the booking there because they said, uh, hey, we don't want no fag act, you know, we don't want no gay act. And then uh, four days after they announced it, uh, the reservations started pouring in and, like, they sold out, I think, the first Friday and Saturday. So... See, it's not a gay act. When I was in New York, I played 12 weeks sold out, and it was 75%, I'd say, couples over 40. You what know? kind of fan mail do you get? I get a lot of fan mail from um, disturbed, lonely people, from psychiatric nurses, from psychiatric patients. I get a lot of... Because of the film Outrageous... Um, I get a lot of mail from from parents who say, thank you for making that film. Now I understand that I should love my child rather than condemn him for being different. Do you feel that most of your, uh, your following is a gay following? No. No, I feel um, about 20% mm, of them are a little, well, you know... Boys' night out is Thursday, isn't it? What night is it tonight? It's Thursday. Oh, I'm going to see Peter Allen then. There's the boy of all time. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! I go to Rio. I wish they could see the looks on your face. I go to Rio. <clears throat> I honestly love you. I honestly love you. This is a fascinating interview. <laughs> Who writes your material? I do. Any young one? In crayon. In crayon. How long have you been doing this? What time is it now? Mm, quarter after one. <laughs> well, about 15 minutes. <laughs> no, I've been um, doing my act. Uh, I started in the uh, clubs in Toronto, uh, the Manatee, in 1970, December. And then I went professional... I stopped being a hairdresser, you know, I was doing the impressions on the weekends in the gay clubs because the um, so-called straight clubs, oh, I'm so tired of these labels, Ugh. straight to me means somebody that's not on drugs. Um, anyway. Can you make a living working or can an artist make a living working just gay clubs alone? Yes, you can make uh, 2000 a week. That's a living. It's a living. 
How many weeks a year do you work clubs? Is, are clubs what you want to do? Colleges, uh, clubs? Well, I'm going into concerts, actually. After the, um, after the Royal York engagement, I'm playing the Place Des Arts. Place Des Arts? Place Des Arts. Oh, I'm going to, in Montreal, the Place Desserts, I'm going to call it. Place Desserts when I go on. Um, and then I'm playing the um, Berkeley Center in Boston on March 18th. And I'll be doing concerts through probably Hamilton Place, Vancouver, all the places where the uh, movie has been successful. It's all been due to the movie, too. Yes, it has. I must say, all my success has been due to the film. What's your name again? My name is Ted. Ted what? Wallachian. Ted Wallachian. Hello, Ted Wallachian. Hi. I'm Craig Russell. Hi, we've met. Thank nice, you. Nice meeting you. Thank you again. And I'm going to leave you with some excerpts from Craig's show, The Craig Russell Show, to give you an indication of just what a talented individual he was. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Not Thinking Straight. We'll hopefully see you next time.
you queers. You must read Leviticus, for it is written, brethren and sistren. There is hope for all who have gone astray. Hey, hey, cabaret. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Everybody. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Everybody. His truth is swing it, boys. Pigtails. So 
or trying during pregnancy. So Studios of Bay FM in Byron Bay and broadcasting across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you've been listening to Not Thinking Straight with Michael Mack. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, goodbye. Well, you can twist and Falling rain I drive a Rolls Royce Cause it's good for my voice But you won't fool The children of the revolution Now you won't fool The children of the revolution